Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer. And on tonight's show, we investigate whether the drift to the regions out of the cities because of the ramifications of the coronavirus is a permanent trend or is it just a sugar hit? If the latter is true, then are city apartments looking like a really good buy? To get to the bottom of this, I'll talk to UNSW academic, Dr. Shane Gahar, and then we'll dig deeper into the house price moves that could make city apartments right for the buying with the Executive Manager, Economic Research at REA, Cameron Cusher. But first, the founder of Wizard Home Loans and now Yellow Brick Road, Mark Burris, who gives us a lesson on borrowing wisely as he warns about fixed home loans, cashback offers, and the importance of understanding the comparison rate that you are borrowing at. So let's kick off with this Fixed Home Loans 101 Masterclass with YBR's Mark Burris. Well, my first guest on the program is Mark Burris. At a time when banks in particular are really pushing fixed home loan interest rates and they're even putting uh, two to $4,000 cashback offers, Mark wants to talk to us about fixed rates and also the cashback offers and the, the value of looking at the comparison rate. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, Peter, how you going, mate? Very good, mate. Now, look, you, know, you and I were having a chat a few weeks back and you were showing some concern about some of the, the lending practices out there at the moment. I know you want to put it in, into perspective. So why don't we start off by basically educating people on fixed home loans and, and the important things people should know about a fixed rate home loan? Well, the first thing, fixed by the very start of the word fixed means not only is the interest rate fixed, but all the features are fixed. So generally speaking, um, you, you need to make more inquiry about this, but generally speaking, it means that you can't make any more repayments other than the scheduled repayments that the bank tells you to make. So if they say your repayment schedule looks like this, two grand a month, that's all you can do. So you can't pay 2,500, you can't pay 2,600, you can't pay the loan out earlier. If you decide to do these things, you're gonna usually get hit up with a penalty, like a, uh, an early repayment fee, or, or a, and when it comes to repaying your home loan off faster, you can't increase the amounts that you pay off every month other than what the schedule is. So fixed means fixed. Fixed in its, all its features, fixed in the interest rate. The second thing is fixed for what, how long? So, you know, you're gonna do a one-year fix, two-year fix, three-year fix, and there's some four-year fix out there. They all vary in price. Um, and and it's and none of it makes any sense either because some of these four-year fixed rates are lower than the uh, two-year fixed rates, yet the cost of four-year fixed money, generally speaking, in the marketplace, in the wholesale market, is actually more expensive. Um, and you've got to ask yourself the question, why? Yeah. And once the, fixed, once the fixed period finishes, what happens after that? Generally speaking, in this country, once the fixed rate finishes, you go into what they call the variable rate. And the variable rate that they offer you right now, if you are taking fixed rate, is much higher than all the other variable rates in the marketplace that are currently on offer. So it's you've got to be careful, very, very careful. Mm. So it seems to me that, Mark, if you were a really um, conscious um, researcher about the rates you're on and what's available to you, at the end of, say, a four-year period, I guess you go looking for the best possible rate um, but you, you would find that the, the rate, you and I would probably both, both uh, wisely guess, it's going to be much higher than the current rates right now. Um, I would say. Yeah. 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 So, but you've, you've also made the point to me on previous occasions that a lot of people don't even think about looking around for the best rate once that three or four year period is over. They just basically cop what the bank serves up and that becomes a potential cost for them long run. Totally, so you're right. So generally speaking, people are clever at the beginning of their home loan search. That is the amount of money they're trying to get to get into the property. And they go off and they look for, what is the, the thing that gives me the least amount of repayments per month? Right now, the product that will give you the least amount of payments per month is a fixed rate less than say 2% mm. um, because the variable rates are much higher than that. So people say, oh, wow, that's good. I can afford you know, two, two and a half thousand dollars a month. We can afford that, let's buy the property. But then it flips into the variable rate. People tend to think, oh, well, by the time it goes into the variable rate, if it's higher, I'll be earning more money. I should be okay. Mm. Australians are very much that way. We say, oh, we'll be okay. We'll be okay in two years or three years or four years. 
we'll be able to pay more money. But the point is, that's looking at the interest rate, the variable rates today. I would assume, just as you just said, that if the variable rates in three or four or five years' time will be much higher than they are today. Because we would hope that the economy will recover. And as the economy recovers, inflation starts to kick in. And as inflation starts to kick in, as we all know, the Reserve Bank puts interest rates up and as interest rates get put up by the Reserve Bank, the retail banks put their rates up. We all put, we put our rates up. Everybody puts their rates up. So expect this. If you're on a very low fixed rate today, when you come off that fixed rate, you'll be paying a much higher repayment schedule in at the end of the fixed rate than you are currently being quoted. 100% for sure. And you might say, well, damn it, I will go and fix my rate again. Well, okay, that's fine. But at that time, fixed rates might be really, really high mm. because you know the banks are expecting rates to start going up. Or you might say, well, no, damn that. I, I, well, I'll refinance with somebody else. Well, that's great. But if um, something happens to your wages between today, the day of your application, before you get your loan, say, and the day you reapply in three or four years' time, you might find that you don't get a refinance. You can't You can't get a new loan approved. Mm. Or if property prices, God forbid, come off a bit, when the bank you try to refinance with goes and values your property, they say, you know, we don't we don't get the value that you're, you know, for your song. We're not getting that value. I mean, it's fair to assume the value is going to keep going up, but it's also, I've seen property prices go down, as you have. Hmm. Um, and if interest rates start going up, that's, that's a fair scenario to accept. So you've got to be very, very careful with these extraordinarily seductive, historically low fixed rates which are counterintuitive to me, someone like you and I who are in these markets. They are completely counterintuitive. And then when I look at the variable rates I revert to, and I look at the comparison rate, which you know, we're going to talk about, I'm sure, it tells me straight up that, hang on, there's some, there's a problem here. You know, it's that old saying, if it doesn't look right, doesn't taste right, doesn't smell right, usually not right. And um, be careful is what I'm saying. Okay. Before we talked about, talk about the comparison rate, I know in the past you've said to me, well, if you want to do fixed, um, and, but you also would like to pay off your loan, maybe a cocktail is a better way of going, you know, part fixed, part variable. Are, are they easy to get? And are you getting good rates with the cocktail loans? Um, you get, well, you get the good fixed rate. Um, so a cocktail is, um, I take 50% variable, 50% fixed. Most lenders will offer that. Just about every lender would offer that. Um, it allows you to continue to make Re extra repayments because on the variable piece, so that allows you to pay your home loan off faster. So you don't fix that part that you keep as variable. Um, if you're asking me, uh, is the cocktail rates, in other words, the variable rate and the fixed rate together, well, the fixed rate will be the rate that they advertise. The variable rate, generally speaking, though, is higher than what they advertise for a full variable rate. Generally speaking, it is, it is higher. Um, I don't think, again, I mean, I've you and I have had this discussion for at least 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have done the analysis over a long period of time, over and over and over again, fixed rate or fixed and variable rate very rarely outperform variable rate on its own. Over a period of years I'm talking about, over a period of five years, it very rarely outperforms. And there's a reason for it. The banks aren't offering you a fixed rate because they're trying to make do you some favour, okay? I don't offer you a fixed rate because I'm trying to do you a favour. I'm offering you a fixed rate because I'm making some bets on certain things with a lot more information than you, the borrower, has. And I'm making a margin out of it. So the banks will make a margin out too. So don't think you're going to outsmart anybody. The only time you would take part fixed, part variable, as you suggest, is if you're a nervous Nelly and you decide that, look, I just don't want to run the risk that the rates are going to go out of control, go up next year or next month or whenever, and then I get, get on this really high variable rate over time. So I'd like to have a bit of this low fixed rate that's being offered now, just for peace of mind. That's when you take part fixed, part variable, for peace of mind. But don't, I wouldn't do it as an economic choice. I would do it just for an emotional peace of mind. And, and we should throw in, Mark, that even if you do take a cocktail and you decide to sell your house because the price is fantastic or you want to move in the state or whatever it might be, you're going to have to pay a break cost on the fixed part of that cocktail loan, won't you? 100%. Because look, at the end of the day, banks are in this to make money. I mean, we're all in this. We're lending. We're not trying to do any favors. We want you to. We want to be competitive. All of us want to be competitive. We're trying to be as competitive as possible. Um, we are trying to market to you. you know, lenders are trying to market to you. They make things look seductive without being, let's call it misleading, um, because we want it to be attractive. And the fixed rates right now are very attractive. 
But there's a sting in the tail. The sting in the tail is the variable rate it reverts to. Mm. And when you do when you do the calculation, that you know, many years ago, 2002, 2003, we used to have these things called honeymoon rates. And uh, you know, I riled against this for years. And eventually, they changed the legislation and introduced this thing, as you know, called comparison rates. For some reason, the world has forgot about comparison rates. The comparison rate basically is, how do I judge the advertised rate after I had all the costs associated with it? All of the costs associated with it. How do I judge them? For example, a lot of fixed rates have an annual package fee of $395 per annum. That's about 0.2, 0.23 of a percent. Because most people can't calculate what $395 means on their home loan. They don't know how much they deserve as a percentage. So comparison rates take all that stuff into account. And uh, I'd like to see a lot more emphasis on brokers when they talk to their clients, when um, lenders advertise and advertise to their potential customers. When the media talks about loans, I like them to talk about comparison rates. Mm. Give, it equal, give, it, give it equal footing. Okay, let's start talking about comparison rates then, Mark. I've always believed that uh, comparison rates are really straightforward when it comes to variable home loans. Because, yeah. because, you know, it's basically whatever the interest rate is plus any other fees they throw in. And if one's, yeah. one's saying 3% variable is 3.5% comparative, well, then the real rate I'm paying is 3.5%. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But then when it comes to fixed rates and comparisons, over the years I've seen a fixed rate advertised at say three, but the comparison rate was 2.95. That, that really surprised me. But, but other ones might be 3% and they're 3.9%. So talk us through the mumbo jumbo that's associated with fixed rates and the comparison rate. Right, so fixed rate, by definition, expires at a certain time. Let's say it's let's say the two year fixed rate, yeah. and it expires. And let's say the the rate that's being offered right now is one point nine nine percent fixed for two years. Um, and there are obviously some fees and charges being added in there. In this example, we said it's three hundred ninety five dollars a year, and which then reverts at the end of the fixed period to let's say two point eight percent. There was a few of these in the marketplace at the moment. What the comparison rate does is it takes all the fees and charges and adds those into um, the calculation of the rate over time that a borrower pays on an average of a $150,000 loan. So they, they, you know, they just pick one loan amount, 150 grand, which by the way, to be frank with you, is not that realistic today because an average loan is around about a half a million, but it doesn't matter. When the legislation came in, 150 grand was probably the right number back in 2003. Um, they say, what is the actual interest rate that a borrower pays when we add the variable rate for a period of the loan plus the fixed rate for the first two years of the loan plus any fees and charges then we work it backwards what is that comparison rate right now today so that i can compare that interest rate with every other rate in the marketplace so I can compare it with variable rates, I can compare it with other fixed rates. So they call it the comparison rate, so I can actually compare it. It used to be called the average percentage rate, which is probably a, a truer way of um, describing it. What is the average percentage rate I pay over the life of the loan? For the first two years are fixed, and the rest of the, assuming the rest of it I, I keep as variable, based on today's interest rates that are being advertised by that particular lender because you can't work out what it might be in the future, but what is it today? Nine times out of 10, um, those comparison rates or the average percentage rate is much higher than the fixed rate that's being advertised. Nine times out of 10. So I, 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 there are plenty of examples right now where there's fixed rates, when I saw one fixed rate being advertised 1.6% fixed for two years, but it has a comparison rate of 3.2% because the variable rate is like three and a half percent. And that's by a bank. Um, it's not a, one of the big four, but it is not as a bank. And it is very seductive. Like people are gonna say, oh, wow, I only have to pay, you know, 1.6, that's ridiculously low. I mean, I can see why people would fall for it. Um, 
it may well suit somebody because somebody might know the wage is going to be low for the next two years and they're going to kick up really high or hard in year three and four. That might make some sense. But but I don't think many people really actually, they're not the facts really, to be honest yeah. with you. I reckon people, people are just saying, I can afford that now. It's a short-term fix. Um, I just want to get the joint. I just want to get the house. I want to get my family in there and I'll fix the problem down the track. Yeah. That's what I reckon happens. That's yeah. typical Australian thinking. And, 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 you know, like we know, my business knows, our research shows us that nine in every 10 borrowers after the third month of having a loan on foot, they do not know what their interest rate is. They only know what the repayments are. They have not a clue what their interest rates because interest rates move around so fast. Mm. So most people don't even know what their interest rate is. So they're not really interested. They're just saying, how much I've got to repay? Yeah. And uh, that's why the comparison rate is so important. You've got to ask your broker, what's the comparison rate? You walk into a bank and you're asking your bank about a fixed rate, please tell me what the comparison rate is. Then ask the bank, well, do you mind uh, showing me how that compares to any other rates in the marketplace? At least you should know the answer to that question. You, you might still go with them, yeah. but that, it doesn't matter. But ask the question. Yeah. It seems to me, Mark, that if you are going to do this, you just really have to become really connected to your home loan and you have to do fantastic research or have a great mortgage broker helping you. Otherwise, there's a very good chance in the long run you'll pay a lot. So these low fixed rates, as, as well as these cash back offers which we'll talk about in a second, they're, they're like baits to get customers in and then the hope is that those customers don't monitor their situation and therefore in the long run you pay a lot more despite the fact you pay little go, going on the way in. Most people, you're 100% correct, Peter. Most people um, do not, once they get into the rhythm of making the repayments, they don't make a change. Rarely do they make a change. Particularly where we have these sort of low interest rate um, environments where we have very little interest rate movement. Mm. So from the Reserve Bank's point of view, I'm talking about. So we haven't really had many interest rate changes over, over the past couple of years because the Reserve Bank sort of brought it down quite swiftly. And as a result of that, the cost of funds sort of stayed fairly stable. What we have seen in the retail part of the marketplace, in other words, lenders, lenders have been playing around with interest rates through fixed rates, cash bags, this, that, the other. So all the movement hasn't been happening at the cost of funds level or having, it's not happening at the reserve bank level, which is what we used to in the old days, well, you, know, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago. What, what's happening now is all the movement is in the retail level. So everybody, all the lenders are playing games with, well, not games, but all the lenders are coming out with products that are likely to spike interest from borrowers. And 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 again, that is why, you know, I remember this happened in the introduction, when they said these so-called introductory rates are home uh, honeymoon rates. Um, and that's why they brought this legislation in. That's why I'm, I, I'm just calling this out now, people, what it is. I'm, I'm calling it out because what I'm worried about is we have a property market which is absolutely on fire. And one of the... Um, analogies, well, one of the conclusions being drawn for the reason it's on fire is not the people earning more money because we know wages haven't gone up for a long time. Businesses aren't earning more money either. Um, the, the, one of the main reasons is because it's so much more affordable in terms of interest payments, interest rates. Yeah. And I'm calling this out because I don't know if that's correct. I'm, I think interest rates are not that much lower. They are low historically, but relative to the price of the house, they're not that much lower. And what I'm calling out is be careful of these so-called seductive fixed rates. Know what you're going to afford in years two, three, four, five, and six when the rates go back to the Yeah, and we should throw in, Mark, that if you look at the history of fixed rates, and, and like I can remember when home loan interest rates were, say, 5 or 6%, the question was, yeah, do you take a punt and lock yourself in for three years at, say, let's say the variable rate was 6%. You say to yourself, well, Will I take a three-year fixed rate at, say, 6.7%, hoping that that 0.7 I'm going to pay in the short term is going to be less than the variable rate in two or three years' time when it's 8 or 9%. That was a usual bet. The bet that's on now is a really unusual one. It's really the way, and it's very complex. It, like, uh, I mean, I, I think it's, interest rates are not a simple thing, and, um, and the, the algorithms and the mathematics of, and the quantitative analytics around calculating how much my cost of funds are, how much my payway is, how long you're going to stay with me as a borrower, what the behaviour of borrowers is, um, you know, what is what are the what's the cost of the swaps to you know get my fixed rate to offer to you, how long do I run that product for? 
Every year, I can tell you now, Pete, every single year, because I've been writing about this for like 20 years, every single year, January, February, there's a whole lot of fixed rates coming out. Every year. Hmm. And again, in June. Every year. And the reason I know that is because I used to start writing about it. Because I knew I could write about fixed rates for a while. And then they start dropping off. This year, they've extended a little bit further than I would expect. They've gone into March. But right now, as I said, the cost of funds for the three and four year rates are looking a bit silly relative to the product, the retail products being offered. So it's telling me that those rates are, those fixed rates are either going to drop off really quickly or there's a, a very important strategy behind those offering it. That is to get you um, um, into the loan, maybe take a small loss as a lender with a view to picking it up down the track, which means you, the borrower, you're paying for it. And at the end of the day, borrowers are going to be trying to pay the least amount of money off their loan over the 30 years as they possibly can. And that means finding the best rate. Nothing beats having the best variable rate in the marketplace. It never has beaten it. There is nothing that beats borrowing at the best variable rate on offer. Okay. Best variable comparison. Okay, I'll finish up on the, the best variable rate in the market at, at the end. But one last thing I want to talk to you about, or second last thing, is this cashback enthusiasm. I've never seen stuff like this. Like one bank's offering two grand, another one's offering four grand. Now, if someone ties into a two or four thousand cashback, does it mean that they, they're, they're always ahead because they were given that lump sum at, uh, up front? No, well, you can calculate how much interest the cashback that I pay. It, we don't offer it, but if, if, someone's, if, if a lender's offering you a cashback, the lender can work out what's the discount they've effectively given you upfront on their interest rate that they would ordinarily get. So let's say they want to get 3% interest, they offer you cashback. Now, it might have cost them 3.5% interest, but that's just year one. You you go in, you take the cashback deal, you take the 3,000, 4,000, 2,000, whatever it happens to be, whoever the lender is, you take the cashback. Generally speaking, you go off and spend that on something, you know, go and spend it with Jerry Harvey or you'll buy some new furniture. Normally, you don't put it into your mortgage. Uh, normally, they go and spend it on something, and that's probably a good thing in 2020 when we had all the COVID issues. But right now, I think it's, it's about time that we start to look at these very seductive things. But I've never seen this anywhere in the world. Australia, as, as I understand it, is the only country in the world where lenders are offering cash to take a loan from you. I mean, that's pretty unusual. And lenders would rather take one hit one year by giving you cash day one than, and then put you on a, and then make money out of you over the next 29 years, then they'd rather do that as opposed to offering you a really good rate now. So what they're doing is they're saying, you take, take it in the neck up front, in terms of our costs, we won't make that much money out of this customer day, year one or first 18 months. But what we'll do is we'll get him on good rates going forward for the next 29 years. So they're basically hoping that people will get, I don't want to use the word seduced, but I will, <laughs> seduced into one of these cashbacks. It sounds pretty, uh, it's, like, it's like casino stuff to me. I mean, like, it's like bling, you know, come on, there's cash back and, you know, free this, free that. Like, I, I, I don't, personally, I don't like it. I don't like the sound of yeah. it. I don't like the feel of it. Um, I don't, I mean, a lot of the borrowers who are probably more unsophisticated probably fall for it a little bit. Um, I know some brokers, their clients actually insist on getting these loans for them, refinancing mm, into it. Yeah. I, I, I will say this, Peter, where these are makes sense, though. There is, there is, there is a time place for these deals. So let's say I borrowed a variable rate three years ago, or I was on a fixed rate, high fixed rate three or four years ago, and um, I'm paying it off and I've got a bit of equity in my property. And let's say I'm paying 3%, you know, 3% plus, that's my rate. And I got, a broker comes to me or I go to my bank and my broker says to me, um, look, Mark, I can get you 2.59% now, which is much better than 3%, plus I can get you $4,000 cash back. That makes sense. Mark should do that deal every day of the week. But what I might also say to you is probably what Mark should do is go along to the bank that he's currently with and just say, listen, you got me on a rate that's too high. 3% out of the market. Um, I want 2.59 and just take, or I want 2.49. Just take take a, a rate. Just go to your bank and ask for a better deal. Mm. You don't have to go and get the cash back and lock yourself into a slightly higher deal. But there will be occasions where these cashbacks do work. But generally speaking, it's designed to seduce people into borrowing money and locking themselves in over a long period of time. Yeah, so I've got an example here that you uh, sent me. 
and uh, it's the case, or I think it was a $4,000 cashback, but you're at 2.69% compared to a, a, a straight loan at 2.39%. So there's only 0.3 difference. But after five years, the one with the cashback, you paid 63500 in interest. And where you didn't get the cashback, the interest was 56264 And over, over the life of the loan, you pay about 30000 more because you took that 4000 up front. So that tells them that four grand's cost you a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's they're the questions you've got to ask your broker yeah. and, and or the bank. Okay. So, so but you made the point that you reckon over time, variable beats the fixed, particularly yeah. if you do go chasing the lowest variable rate in the market. Now, Correct. so what, what's the best variable rate we can find? Well, the best comparison very rate is 2.42, I think, right now. And just and it, look, I'm not you know, I'm not here to screw my own product. Okay. That's a product we released, and we only released it last week. And and you know, like in every race of the horse called self-interest, and in this race, I, my self-interest is making sure that we came out with what I consider to be the best variable rate in the marketplace. Yeah. There's no frills, there's no cashback, there's no lock-ins. Um, there's and the, the difference between my advertised rate and my uh, comparison rate is like three basis points, 0.03. It's not like it's not half a percent or one percent. It's 0.03. It's the best product in the marketplace you can get from a broker. I mean, there are some better online deals, but you know, my product gets sold through brokers, and I have to pay the broker. But it's the best product to get through the marketplace through a broker. You know, we spent three or four months going through how do we compete in this cashback environment? How can I, how can I compete in this fixed interest rate environment where they're offering a sub two percent? And at the end of the day, we worked out we couldn't because we'd have to buy the business um, and, and, and it's better for me. And then, then I thought, wait a minute, why am I even worrying about this stuff? I'm always, why don't I just come out with a good rate that's better than everybody else's, that makes me some money and it's a fair rate, it's you know transparent, it, it is what it is, there's no tricks, frills, furblows, none of that, and, and, and launch that. And that's sort of what I did. And I did that in the wizard days many, many years ago. That's exactly how we competed in the wizard days. Sometimes, you know, it's funny, but, we tend to overthink things. Um, I spent literally two months with my team overanalyzing, trying, how do we how do we pay cashbacks? I went to gift cards. How can we do, offer, offer a gift card? I start and I thought, wait a minute, Mark, you're doing exactly what everyone else is doing. Mm. Take a step back, just do a nice, honest, simple deal, which is cheap, which is sort of what we did. And uh, we came up with this 239 product, 2.39 product, which has a comparison rate of 2.42. When you add all the fees and charges in, it's a simple home loan just for normal borrowers who either want to refinance or want to buy. Okay, so I, I guess the bottom line message from our chat together is that if you are looking for a loan, yeah, under some circumstances you might need the cash back. Uh, be very careful about fixed rates, but more importantly, always check out the comparison rate because in your case, you know, you're saying. 2.3 becomes about 2.4. So, so people checking out for a home loan should be using, say, a comparison rate around 2.4 uh, as a proper starting point. 100%. And if it's more than that, if the comparison rate is 2.9 or 3.1 or 2, you got to that just that's a red flag. And for God's sake, ask somebody, ask your broker, or just test your banker out if you're just going direct to the bank. Ask somebody or do some research. Mm. But if that comes, if you're Comparison rate comes in at more than 2.4, 2.4, around 2.4. Whether it's fixed or variable, doesn't matter. That's a red flag, means ask a question. Yeah. Okay, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Well, joining me on the property show is uh, Dr. Shane Gahar who um, featured in a, a story in both Switzer Daily and the Australian newspaper, talking about the shift of populations out of cities into the regions. And a lot of people are worried about this kind of thing, but uh, Dr. Gahar says, don't worry, this is nothing more than a sugar hit. Thanks for joining us, Shane. Pleasure. Shane, tell us why you think this shift, which is quite pronounced at the moment, why it is something that's more temporary. It is quite pronounced at the moment. And I think all those people that perhaps had plans on hold to go to the regions because either they've reached 
the end of their careers in the city, or they have no real reason to be in an office environment in the city, uh, have probably made their decision sooner rather than later. So we're getting these kind of stronger shifts. But at the end of the day, the attraction of the city is so powerful. Mm. And by, by that, I mean this, uh, you're in the city today. Why aren't you in Wollongong? I mean, Wollongong has half the price of housing. Uh, sorry, by the way, Wollongong is a beautiful place. It's got beautiful beaches, a great level of amenity. Parking is free. Why are you still in Sydney? Yeah. And the answer is obvious. The answer is because employment is in this city and it's diverse and it's deep and it's broad. So if you were to lose your job currently where you are, the ability to find another job or another is all available around you. Also, the, the reasons why a lot of us uh, are in the city apart from employment, and employment is the biggest factor perhaps, and we can't change where we're employed. We can change where we live, but we can't really change where we're employed so much, and is, is that we have a social structure, a network that also relies on other people who are connected to the city. So you may be married, your spouse may live in, in the city and work in the city. You can't just shift to the regions on your own. She has to come or he has to come for that journey. You may have children. You might want them to attend a certain school. Those schools are found in the city. You may need, uh, you might be a doctor specializing. Uh, the specialization path for a hand surgeon has to be only in one or two hospitals that are big teaching hospitals in the city. So the city continues to have a massive draw card and attraction. There is a shift at the moment to the country, that's real. But I think that'll just be temporary. And at the end, the city will prevail. Yeah, and I guess the bottom line is that you're, you've implied that there's a, a cohort of people who are always going to be either downsizers, shifters to the countries, the, the tree changes, the sea changes. And a lot of those people may well have brought that forward and be working in, um, say, Gosford or Coffs Harbour or whatever. But, it, but there's still going to be an enormous group. And I, I must admit, as someone who's gone to a school where, where I uh, used to uh, hang out with boarders from the bush, most of those guys go home for a while, but they end up in the city for either education reasons or they marry into a family. And as you say, their real opportunities are in the city. So your, your argument then is that the coronavirus has created a temporary, maybe, fear of the city, but over time that will dissipate. That will dissipate and actually our cities are amongst the most livable and beautiful in the world. I mean, if you look at the rankings in terms of all of the world surveys that are done and published, you look at Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, they're always in the top 10 in the world top 10. Mm. In fact, Sydney would probably rank one if you look at the sub statistics, Peter, Sydney would probably rank one in most of those surveys if you took out affordability. Mm. So it usually tanks, ranks in the top three, most amazing harbour, beautiful environment, relatively safe, relatively clean, comparatively uncongested. This may shock some of your viewers, but, mm. but, but if you compare it to say Jakarta or, or Madrid, uh, I was in London uh, a few years ago and uh, the tour guide was joking that when London was built by the Romans in the first century, a Roman chariot traveled through London at 12 kilometers an hour. And today, the traffic in London at peak hour travels at 11 kilometres an hour. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting as you, as you talk about Sydney's livability. Uh, I have an office in Melbourne, so I'm, I'm regularly hearing on Melbourne radio and TV that this is the most livable city in the world. So even Melbourne has uh, won a lot of those high ranking um, ratings as well. Because it's probably hard to find a coffee shop you don't like in Melbourne. The mm. standard of the food and the entertainment is very high. It's got a magnificent sporting stadium that's very close to the city. Uh, it's got retail like no other city in Australia. Uh, if I didn't live in Sydney, I would live in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, not, by the way, I'm not saying in any of these arguments that I dislike any of the smaller cities or towns in Australia. Mm. I equally love them. I just think for me, it is very difficult to live in one of those places unless they were of a certain size. So if, if Wollongong, instead of being 300,000, was 900,000 or a million people, suddenly now you get to a critical mass mm. where you can kind of have your cake and eat it as well. But I suspect the price of real estate that's attracting you to Wollongong now 
would be double that by the time it gets to a million. Yeah. So the attraction may not be as strong. Yeah, and you make the point um, in the story that I wrote and the Australian wrote that there, there has to be uh, a size of maybe a population of about a million to have that ecosystem that will attract and keep attracting and, and keep populations. It's very true. I mean, take the southern highlands like Barrel, Mittagong, Mossvale, that conglomerate of, it, it's about 50,000 people. I've recently looked at their demographics. The problem with their, dem it's a magnificent place to live, by the way. Mm. It's got a beautiful elevation. It's got green rolling hills. It's a lovely amenity. I mean, if, if you had died and gone to heaven, you would dream up a place like that. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, and it's only an hour 10 out of Sydney. But you look at their demographics, they have people that stay up to primary school age and high school age in those towns, and then they disappear and don't come back till retirement. <laughs> now, there's a simple reason. Yeah. What happens when you finish your school? You go to university, you go to Sydney, to Melbourne, to Macquarie, you study, you stay there, you stay in the city, you get a job, you marry, you stay there, your kids go to school, you don't come back. Then when you finally give up all that you need to and all those connections, the demographics, then you might think, well, I don't need to be in the city running around all day long. What about if I buy a five acre lot back in Barrel and I'll go back there and live mm. there happily. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's probably a similar story. Uh, and, and that story is reflected in the fact that 70% of us or thereabouts live in only six places. All right. Now, I, I know you participate as an academic, but you also have a, a pretty substantial corporate uh, uh, life as well. And uh, I must admit, I do as well. And as I look and, and know that there's a gross oversupply of apartments right now, and there are a number of maybe worried uh, property investors who haven't got tenants like they used to because there's no um, tourists and, uh, and social distancing and all those sort of problems, are these many of these properties that either are up for sale or are vacant, are they potentially good value for a time when the sugar hit is over and the demographic flows come back to those cities? They are, because the long-term trends are very, very strong. In fact, Australia and Sydney and Melbourne and our capital cities, in my honest opinion, will prove to be so strong post-COVID because they will end up being hugely attractive places for world populations as well as local populations to locate to. Mm. Uh, the people who are very worried about their rental vacancies should remember that we have no international tourists at the moment, zero, zero, and we have no students, which is our fourth biggest industry mm. who occupy a lot of these inner city apartments. But real estate is a long-term game. And remember the transaction costs in real estate are huge, like stamp duty, agents, commissions. So it's no good to play the short game. You should play the long game. And in the long term, property owners should hang on because they're going to do very well long term in capital appreciation. Mm. However, in the short term, if you want to snap up one of these properties and it's up for sale, it's a good time to buy one. Okay. And of course, you're not giving financial advice here, um, Shane. It's just brilliant, <laughs> brilliant financial education. Now, one last issue, and I, I, I didn't recall whether you, you actually referred to it. Let's have a look at Brisbane. We know Sydney and Melbourne are always going to be meccas for, for populations. Brisbane, of course, is A, much more affordable, but it seems to have, and it's, it's gone through a period of basically very little rise in recent, say, over the last 10 years. But it seems to me there's a lot of potential for Brisbane. What's your Correct. view? What's your view? It, on it is my view. I, I would say Brisbane is a, a very good buy at the moment uh, because it's had an oversupply of dwellings in the immediate past term. Mm. And Brisbane, by all world standards, is a magnificent city. Uh, Brisbane will one day also be in the tens of millions of people one day mm. simply because its weather is beautiful it's warmer it has a it is on the water it 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 attracts a lot of international attention and that will increase with time and 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 brisbane in many many respects still has affordable real estate for those aspirants mm. 
that really can't get into the Sydney or Melbourne markets. So provided you have the employment, which is key, and by the way, employment isn't relocating a government department to somewhere in Whoop Whoop and hoping to God that that creates real estate value. That, that will not work in the long term. It, it works only in places like the US where the market has massive amounts of breadth and depth and, and, and a 360 million population to go with it. Mm. In Australia, it doesn't work and it won't work. Therefore, if we're going to relocate services, we should do them in the main capital cities. And one day, we'll, we will have enough people to afford a very fast train that connects Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Mm. And then all of the real estate along the way, as well as Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney can boom. Shane, thanks for joining us. If people want to know more about what you do, what's the best website they should go to? I will just have a look at the website, but we're called EG. We're EG Group. And I'll, let me have a look at my card. I'll tell you the <laughs> website. <laughs> the website is www.eg.com.au. It's amazing how I, I capture, catch a lot of people out who really should know their own website. But uh, <laughs> you're, been, you're in good company. I once caught Ron Walker out, the, the, the uh uh, the former boss of the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and, and Ron had him on my TV show and uh, I asked him for the website and he got caught out too. So you're in pretty good company. <laughs> Thank you. Shane, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, joining me on the show is Cameron Kusher, who is the Executive Manager, Economic Research at REA. And I want to talk to him about a number of things, namely price rises, whether he thinks the shift to the regions is a regional hit, uh, sugar hit, and whether um, the, the CBD apartments might be a good buy considering normalcy might eventually return. Cameron, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Peter. All right, let's just talk um, about the national price rises you guys are seeing right now? Yeah, so uh, in February, we saw the market increase by 0.4%. Um, and over the last over the last quarter, we've seen 1.8% uh, increase in property prices nationally, which is fairly strong. And then over the last year, there's been a 5.9% increase, but we're really seeing a very large discrepancy between the performance of houses and units and the performance of capital city and regional markets. Uh, so over the year, uh, regional market prices have increased at double the pace of capital city prices and uh, unit prices have uh, increased at uh, less than 2.1% compared to 5.9%. Uh, for for uh, six sorry six point nine percent for houses, so you can see that house price growth has been more than three times that of unit price growth. So, uh, real you know very strong market obviously, but real divergence between uh, areas and also product types. What we're seeing, I, I guess you could say that if the regions are doing well, it's less likely people are buying apartments there. And uh, so, at the core of it, then is it still fear around coronavirus and the fact that businesses are giving employees this option to work um, yeah, remotely? I think it's uh, I think it's probably less at, at this point fear around coronavirus. I think it's more about people being able to work remotely and, and then choosing to move to those areas and, and work in these areas. I mean, if we look at the actual regions where we're seeing some of the strongest price growth, uh, Southern Highlands and Shoalhaven, in, uh, in New South Wales. So obviously you could still commute back to Sydney a couple of days a week uh, if you really needed to. Uh, but then it's it's kind of areas a little bit more further afield. So the likes of Coffs Harbour is one of the best performing markets. Um, you know, central Queensland, Mackay, Isaac with Sundays, these kind of areas. So whilst you would think that people would be still staying relatively connected to the capital city, the strongest price growth has actually been in, in areas more further afield. And I, I wonder, if that's actually people not moving to these areas, but taking advantage of the really low borrowing costs to buy second homes and holiday homes in these areas. Yeah, that's a good point, good point. What about auction clearance rates? I saw a staggering number in the ACT recently. Are they surprising you, the auction clearance rates? I mean, they're very high. I, I don't know that they're necessarily surprising when you're seeing everything in the market. I mean, the, the volume of stock available for sale is still really low. Mm -hmm. um, if we look at 
end metrics. So we look at the number of people searching for properties. And then from, from the searches, we can actually narrow it down to people who are showing behaviour that they're likely to buy in the near term. We're seeing record numbers of people with this high level of demand in the market as well. So I think quite simply, it's a case that there's a huge amount of people wanting to buy and there's a real finite supply of stock available for sale. So, um, and I think not so much in, in Sydney and Melbourne, but I think certainly in other parts of the country, people are very discerning as to what properties they actually take to auction. So I think they're most in most cases, they're fairly comfortable that there's significant demand for that property and they're going to achieve that reserve price before they take it to, to auction. Yeah, okay. Now, obviously our success in, in containing and beating the coronavirus explains a lot of this. The comeback of the economy is extraordinary. We saw the big number last week. The strongest six months of economic growth since records were kept in 1959 or something like that. Fantastic. But you also think the impact of fixed interest rates under 2% is powering this market as well, don't you? Oh, definitely. I mean, people people can borrow at the lowest borrowing costs ever. Um, you know, we, it hasn't been talked about a lot, but if you look at the housing finance data, we have been seeing investors returning to the market. And again, when you can, I mean, they don't get those owner-occupier rates, but borrowing costs are extremely low. When you're getting a yield of four, four and a half percent, and then potentially some capital growth on top of that, the housing market's looking pretty attractive uh, for investors at the moment. It's just that uh, first home buyers are, are overweighing them in the current market because of government stimulus. Um, but I think the big thing is people still can't go overseas and spend money that way. So they're spending money here in Australia. And one of the ways they're doing that is upgrading into nicer homes, buying investment properties and buying secondary holiday homes uh, when, they, when they're in a financial position where they're able to do that. Okay. Let's uh, get down the, the, um, the timeline. Only a few weeks. End of um, JobKeeper and JobSeeker in its current form end of March and the end of mortgage deferrals from uh, banks end of March as well. Uh, once upon a time described as being a fiscal cliff, you don't see a fiscal cliff anymore, do you? No, I mean, you probably still see some people that may not be able to restart paying their mortgage. You know, potentially some people that were on JobKeeper or JobSeeker didn't actually go to their banks and ask for a deferral because that was more than enough to allow them to keep repaying their mortgage. So I think we'll see a bit of a, a rise in mortgage arrears and we may start to see some more uh, people in a position where they have to sell. But certainly I think it's going to be a very small um, portion of the market and nowhere near as bad as things were looking sort of nine, ten months ago when about 11% of mortgages were on deferral. We're now, talk, now talking about less than 2% of mortgages on deferral. So uh, it's, it's something to watch, but I don't think it's going to be detrimental to the market, that's for sure. Okay. So... Um there was an interesting story, and I'm, I'm interviewing uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Shane Gihard uh, later in the program, and he, he was saying that this shift from the city to the regions is a sugar hit that eventually, eventually will be reversed. Now, you made the point how sensationally well regional uh, prices have been going. Do you think it's going to be, uh, uh, in the fullness of time, a sugar hit? I think so. I think what we might see is that regional areas attached to capital cities uh, continue to do well because, um, you know, I, even though I think that people are going to be told they need to go back to the office, it might only be two or three days a week. So if you're in if you're in Melbourne and you're living in Geelong or you're living right down on the Mornington Peninsula or you're living in Bendigo or Ballarat, you can still get into the into the office two or three days a week if you have to. Similarly, you know, Gold and Sunshine Coasts around Brisbane. Wollongong, the Central Coast in, in, in Sydney. I think those areas will continue to do well, but I think the areas further afield um, will probably start to see those markets slowing down this year as things get back to normal. And, and whilst a lot of businesses are saying at the moment, you know, you can do your job remotely, uh, you know, three or four years down the track, they might change their tune quite a bit and might be trying to get people um, back into the office on a more regular occurrence. So I think that's certainly a consideration for anyone that's thinking about moving out of the capital city into regional areas. Um, yes, you can work remotely now, but are you going to be able to work remotely forever? And also, what impact is that going to have on your career if you're not in the office? Because you're not going to be having those interactions with the more senior people that just sort of coincidentally happen in an office when you're, you know, going to the kitchen to get something to eat or going to the water cooler. 
Yeah, you, you might have to go to Melbourne more often, mate, uh, in the future as well. <laughs> um, I, I might have a good apartment for you in Albert Park where you can stay when you go there, mate. All right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, let's go to the last I issue I want to talk about, and there's namely apartments. Um, and I've been asking my experts over the last month or two whether CBD apartments could be getting into the buy zone, and I think uh, one industry expert actually does think that's the case. What do you think, uh, Cameron? I think I think we're getting close to that point. I mean, the pandemic hit in March last year. Uh, a lot of the apartment markets have seen significant falls in rents. Obviously, rental vacancy rates have have increased quite dramatically, but. No, the, the talk is now that international borders might be back open by October next uh, October this year, which means that international students will potentially be coming back in at the start of next year. I think we've already really seen that market reset. And I think in terms of the new supply coming online, a lot of the new developments that we're seeing at the moment are not targeted at that investment grade stock. They're targeted more at that owner occupier um, style product. So I think that uh, over the next probably three to six months, we're definitely going to see that inner city apartment market bottom out and potentially for investors looking forward, I think it could be a good opportunity to get in there and buy. But obviously that's not financial advice. No, of course not. It's just brilliant financial education from an industry expert. But So one last thing, you know, what have been the main reasons why there is an oversupply of apartments? Okay, let's assume people are working remotely, therefore there's less demand. But is it, is it mainly the fact that there are less, less tourists in Sydney and Melbourne in particular? It, I mean, 100%. There's, there's less tourists and there's less um, people coming to Australia. So we talk about overseas students and obviously that's a big source of demand for rentals, but also a lot of executives and people coming here for jobs aren't going to own a home before they move here. They're going to rent somewhere before mm. they come. Obviously, we've had really strong migration over recent years and there's still a strong pipeline of people that have moved to Australia and not purchased, but there's not that replacement pipeline coming in at the moment with those borders shut. So that's really the crux of the issue um, with, the, with the rental market at the moment. But it is a bit general to say that the rental market's struggling because, yes, the inner city apartment markets are really struggling, but then the outer capital city areas are doing really well. Um, you know, the, the rental market on the Golden Sunshine Coast is booming, Geelong, all these other areas. So a lot of the demand has flowed um, to other parts of the country. It's just, I guess, that apartments in major capital cities are, are such a big source of rental demand typically. Yeah. Cameron uh, Kusher, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Peter. And that was Cameron Kusher of REA. That's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. And if you're not into property but maybe shares, have a look at the Switzer Report. Go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next week.